This sports social podcast is brought to you by BetVictor, where live streams, smart stats, and in-play betting can help you make your best bet yet. 18 plus, BeGambleAware.org. NFL Sunday Ticket is now on YouTube and YouTube TV, which means that it just got easier to be an NFL fan, even if you live far away. Like, maybe you like the Bears, but you're hibernating in Panthers territory. But with NFL Sunday Ticket, your out-of-market team is never more than a short distance away. Specifically, the distance from you to your remote control. NFL Sunday Ticket, now on YouTube and YouTube TV. Go to youtube.com slash presale to get $50 off. Terms and embargoes apply. Offer ends 919. No refund. Subscription auto renews. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Welcome everyone to episode 26 at VAR at the Bar. My name is Chris and who am I with today? Hello, I'm Dan. Hi, man. It's been a while, lads. How are you? Refreshed. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I can't complain. Yeah, we've had our pre-season and now we're ready for another season of um, podcasts, hopefully, a bit more regularly. I had a bit of a busy summer with some interesting signings. What do you reckon then? You know, a few games in, who do you reckon's going to win win the title then? What do you reckon, Dan, as a Leicester fan? I have to say that Chelsea have made a very strong start. Mm-hmm. Um, the signing of Lukaku has really given them um, a lot of impetus going forward now. And it just seems to be coming together for them. They're playing, they're looking really solid, Chelsea are. So that would be my tip for the title, despite what I said on the last pod. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Am? Um, yeah, I sort of echo what Dan just said. Really, I think I think it's going to be tight. I, I think if Liverpool keep everyone fit, they're going to be up there. Um, if Solskjaer can keep everyone happy, they'll definitely be up there. And Man City will will be up there eventually. You know they will. Oh yeah. That, I think that's it. I think it's that top four. It's going to be a close shop this year. Yeah. I can't see anyone else getting in there. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think it's those four. I don't think Leicester are going to finish in the top four. <laughs> we haven't come close this year. No. Well, some dodgy refing decisions, I think, in Leicester, get, uh, Leicester Brighton, especially. <laughs> well, we are called VAR at the bar, so let's talk about VAR, shall we? <laughs> yeah, there, there's some. I mean, I can't believe that first goal stood. He's been pulled to the ground. As he's pulled, his flailing arm goes up in the air and he gives a handball. It's, and then on review, they decide it is a handball, not a foul. It's just ridiculous. Yeah, Harvey Barnes needs to know how to stay on side on set set plays as well. <laughs> yeah, I mean, part of me feels like he was interfering with the keeper a little bit. That's probably a foul. But then they say they gave it for offside. But the second one, especially, he's nowhere near in line with the goalkeeper's eye line. He's out of the way. So 
I didn't agree with that decision either. Yeah, yeah. What do you reckon with top scorers at the moment? Do you think it's a two-horse race between Lukaku and Cristiano? Or do you think there's going to be a few more people in with a shout with that? Uh, I wouldn't count out Mo Salah. He's, he's going to be away for about six games. <laughs> That's a good point. African nations. Yeah, that doesn't matter. Score a few hat-tricks. <laughs> Harry Kane's going to score eventually. Yeah, yeah. You know, he does this every season. He has a he has a barren spell, isn't it? Didn't he used to have the? Was it August? Right? August, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the curse of August for him, and then he always used to start banging in hat tricks, didn't he? September. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, he's overcome that now. But um, Spurs are struggling. They're a bit up and down, aren't they? Mm-hmm. A couple of good performances, and then a couple of terrible outings. Just don't know what you're going to get with them at the minute. Well, mm. I, I well, their the good performances came when they didn't have Kane in the team. So yeah, <laughs> that, that tells you something, doesn't it? Well, <laughs> I'm not going to read too much into that. No, 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 I'm not either. It's a, but... it's a good spot. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't seem to be playing up front at the moment. Let's put it that way, Kane. Oh yeah, Spurs what I've seen out the road half at times, aren't they? Yeah, it's going to be an interesting game then versus Arsenal. I think Arsenal edge it one 0 I've got. I'll go for a high-scoring draw. <laughs> no, I think I think goals are going to be hard to come by in that one. Probably, probably go with Ant actually on the one-nil Arsenal. From mm-hmm. What I've seen so far in the recent turns of form. Has anyone impressed? Any teams impressed you at all? Uh, Brentford have. They've made a good start. They've kept yeah. it pretty tight at the back, and uh, the Tony's hit straps now. The last couple of games. Yeah, yeah, they they look like they, they they're going to do enough to avoid the drop. They've got tougher in the games, haven't they? I think the next yeah. four or something yeah. like is it um, Chelsea, Liverpool, West Ham, Leicester, something like that. Yeah, yeah. Brighton, Brighton started well as well. Yeah. Oh yeah, be very impressed with them. But it's, it's, I did I did think they'd have a good year this year. That's it's been coming for them. Yeah, yeah. I've said for a few seasons now that all the pieces will eventually click into place. Yeah. That's good to see. Yeah, I mean they've they've been they've been shooing, haven't they? Really, with the amount of chances that they've been creating, it's just a matter of them actually scoring them. And now it just seems like they're taking them a bit more now, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. Right then, guys. The agenda for uh, tonight's episode then is um, good, bad, obscure. I believe that's you, Dan. Is it? It is. Yeah, We've got something lined up. Yeah, good stuff. Then with the top five worst kits for this year then our, our top 10 which is the um best english player abroad and then obviously in between that we'll have to talk about fantasy football i'm sure one of us will be happy talking about it at the moment <laughs> uh, but obviously we'll let you know later who that will be listeners and also the quiz to finish off so, if you don't mind starting us off there, please, Dan, with the good, bad, obscure. Right. So, this week's entry for good, the bad, the obscure. I mentioned to answer last week that I had someone lined up, someone that um, I think really deserves to be talked about in this piece. And I'm surprised that he's not, I don't think his name's been brought up on the podcast at all to date, um, which is surprising for um, a big character like this. But the guy I've got this week, it's uh, Jose Luis Chilavert. <laughs> oh yeah, legend. That's a great choice. Yeah, 
Oh, Mr. Me, I have con- you know when we went on this run of goalkeepers that you two were just palming off each other for like 10 episodes. I did look at him, but then I thought, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was thinking the same. When we were doing all these goalkeepers, I thought, I've got this one in my back pocket. <laughs> but yeah, here we go. So, um, yeah, Chilavert, he made his professional debut in Paraguay in 1982 for Sportivo Luqueño, and he won the Premier Division title there with Guarani in 1984. He then spent three seasons with San Lorenzo in Argentina before he moved to Real Zaragoza in 1988. Now, um, Chilavert was one of the pioneers of the sweeper-keeper, where he used to like to come far out of his box and play about with the ball at his feet, but then... He just seemed to keep going further and further, and he was happy to come out and spray the ball about like a midfield player. And the Zaragoza fans used to scream at him to get back in his goal because he used to frighten them to death. He was just so confident in his own abilities. He kept going further and further and wanting to have more and more influence on a game. Uh, he also used to practice in training extensively penalties and free kicks. And eventually they gave him the job with real in matches. And he scored a penalty for Zaragoza before he eventually moved on to Vélez Sarsfield in Argentina. Now, he had a 10-year spell there from 1991 to 2001. And during that time, he helped them to win four Premier Division titles, the 1994 Copa Libertadores and the Intercontinental Cup. So he's very successful. And he actually notched up 48 goals during his time there. That was a combination of excellent direct free kicks. Uh, if you get the chance to watch some of them on YouTube, if you haven't already, well worth a look. And uh, obviously, it was a penalty-taking expert as well. There's one game where he managed to score a hat-trick, three penalties in the game, which was the first for a professional goalkeeper at the time. And he also scored a free kick from his own half against River Plate one game. So another very memorable goal. Uh, he then moved on to Strasbourg in France. Uh, he had a, a few seasons with them there, and he got to the 2001 Coupe de France, and fittingly, uh, the game went to penalties, and he scored the winning penalty and helped them lift the trophy there. And then his final year was with Penarol in the Uruguayan League, and he scored four goals that season in helping them to win the Uruguayan Premier Division. Uh, made 74 appearances for Paraguay between 1989 and 2003, and he scored eight international goals. He was the first goalkeeper to take a direct free kick in the World Cup finals. Uh, he was voted the world's best goalkeeper in 1995, 97 and 98. And he won the Argentina Football of the Year in 1996, as well as the South American Football of the Year award. So big accolades there. Now, he's always been a strong, fiery personality, uh, both uh, captain at club level and international level. And he was famously sent off for brawling with Faustino Asprilla in a match uh, between Paraguay and Colombia in the mid nineties. Wow! He... I, I, to see, I need to see that. <laughs> I think I remember that. I remember that happening. <laughs> Sorry, mate. That, that had to be stopped there. That's oh, fine. Yeah, it's just one of those people that won't back down, will he? You just oh, you just both of them. You can just see it as well. I mean, the <laughs> South American temperament. Yeah. Uh, he once um, attacked a physiotherapist and was given a suspended prison sentence. And he um, he actually he weighed in once on the Maradona versus Messi debate with a statement that Maradona didn't win one percent of what Messi has won, which I thought was a very interesting and a very strong way of uh, supporting Messi in that argument. That tickled me a little bit. 
But he's also been regularly spoken out on topics of politics and corruption in Paraguay. Uh, he refused to participate in the 1999 Copa America, which was held in Paraguay, complaining about the poor organization and infrastructure of the event and stating that the government should spend all the money on education instead of football. And he defended media criticism of Paraguay coach Cesare Maldini in 2002 by telling them that 90% of sports journalists are incompetent. So, so the very people that are criticizing the manager, he's told them that they're rubbish at the job, basically. <laughs> Which I'm sure went down very well. Uh, in 2016, he was a guest commentator for the Copa America, but he was removed by the South American FIFA president, Alejandro Dominguez, after Chilavert on the air accused him of corruption in the previous match. <laughs> and then my final note is that in 2020, he announced that he intends to run for president of Paraguay in 2023. Oh, brilliant. So oh. we've not heard the last of him either. <laughs> no, we've got oh, something of the George Weyer there, haven't we? <laughs> yeah. What a legend. Oh. I know. It's crazy, a, isn't it? Such a unique personality, wasn't he? You can see he was. It is. And he's got so much personality which is amazing in itself but then also he was he was really good at football and you can yeah. forget that it's like those those awards is one best player in south america that's that's incredible but i mean you gotta look at it to score three kicks i mean and it wasn't like the odd free kick he was a regular free kick taker <laughs> you know amazing really yeah i mean he's, he's he's not far off david beckham level with the quality of his free kicks yeah I don't think he missed many penalties either, did he? Mm. I think he had a pretty good record. I suppose it, I mean, you surprised us like that keepers don't do this more often because they would know where the player would put it. So you would have already that sort of knowledge of what the keeper might be thinking because you're one themselves. Well, perhaps yeah. we need to start putting strikers in goal then. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a limit, mate. There's a limit. <laughs> Just a thought. <laughs> I uh, heard Kyle Walker's good in goal. <laughs> Wayne Rooney was good in goal as well, apparently. And Pele. Well, Derby are short of players, so you never know. He <laughs> might be having to sign himself in. <laughs> no, thanks a lot for that one, uh, Dan. Very good. I think it's uh, Ant with the next one, if I'm right. Yeah, I'll have to get my thinking cap on. Well, good, good. Right, the next uh, segment... Top five worst Premier League kits. <laughs> so we, I think the criteria was this season's, wasn't it? That yeah. we were looking at. I would like to start things off really in no apparent order, I guess. Is there, or have you decided to put them in from five to one? Not, not really. No. 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 Yeah, the, the five I've got, they're pretty. They're all pretty bad. So yeah, <laughs> that's good. Um, yeah, and can you start us off, please, there, mate? All right, I'll uh, I'll get in my opinion probably the worst one out of the way first. Um, that's Man City's third kit because yeah. it's it's not a kit; it's a no. flipping t-shirt with their name blazoned across it. And I'm amazed they're allowed to get away with it. To be honest with you, it is like a child designed it. It's terrible. Yeah, I, I I got that one down. I just couldn't believe how poor that was. To be honest. And it, it, it's not just Man City. Like there's other clubs, um, whoever's sponsored by or made by Puma this year. Like, I think um, there's someone in Germany. I think has got the same same design. It's just like it's not a shirt. It's it's, it's not yeah. a kit. Sorry, it's just a t-shirt. It's, it's just a t-shirt. So yeah. Yeah. I'm looking at it now. It's just horrible. And yeah. I've been back. It's almost like the designer 
like you give them a criteria of how much they've got to spend and it's like they've almost gone to the budget and it's like you literally stop now we can't fit any more in if you stuck like i don't know lonsdale in the middle of it you'd yeah. see it in sports direct <laughs> in the bargain yeah. file, wouldn't you? <laughs> no but you know i totally agree with what you're saying and it doesn't look like something you'd spend 40 pounds on it, lo- it looks cheap and tacky something you'd get in a bargain bin yeah. Dan, shirts have been forty pounds for about twenty years. <laughs> Fifty-five quid these days. Yeah. <laughs> it's and it's got Man City as well, not even Manchester City or anything. It's just like that was too much of too much of the budget, Chris. Manchester. That's what that's what I mean. Yeah. <laughs> um, Dan, um, the Man United away kit. Oh yeah. Looks like a broken computer screen. <laughs> <laughs> I, I actually quite like it. It's better than their recent efforts, to be honest with you. Yeah, yeah. no, that's a good shout, mate. That's a good shout. I feel um, like my eyes are going to break just looking <laughs> at that. It's, no, I, I, mean, don't, I don't know why you'd want to play in that. <laughs> I know, it is a little bit odd, isn't it? I think they, they're trying to do what Fergie did so well with that grey kit, where instead of putting his team off, he wants it to put other teams off to blind them or something, confuse them. Yeah, I think it, I think it will work. I do as well. Since you like that sunny day, you get that going around. Give people headaches, wouldn't you? They did that last year with the zebra kit, though, didn't they? That would have put me off. <laughs> yeah, that that was that was all bad as well. Well, my second pick I'll put on this is um, Palace's third kit. It's very copyright for Blackburn Rovers. It's like the blue, <laughs> the blue, the blue and white. I was very close to putting this on my list, but didn't. I'm end. surprised I... copywriters haven't sort of knocked on their door and said, um, "Sorry, there, Palace, but those those number those colours have already been taken." <laughs> yeah, but it's it's a really weird choice, isn't it, for design? It is, especially the style with, of with the, the colours. colours the style having. of it. Yeah. yeah. Why you yeah. go for like a split down the middle and then blue on one side and white on the other? That's not Crystal Palace. To me. No, where's that come from? Where are those colours come from? I don't know. <laughs> It, it looks especially as i'd say it, it you you'd probably argue it probably looks more brighton than it does palace and brighton are the rivals yeah yeah <laughs> i mean as a you know the color scheme is not bad i don't actually dislike the kit but it's the fact that it's related to palace exactly uh, yeah, i'm like no, well where where's what, this come from yeah that's what what confused that's why i put it in and it just looks like blackburn rovers <laughs> yeah i was exactly the same i just looked at that kit and those colors and it irked me straight away <laughs> I think that's what we're all trying to say. Not what about, and have you got another one there, Ant? Uh, yeah, I've gone Liverpool's third kit this year. It's yellow with red and yeah. red checkered collar. Yeah. And I can't decide if it looks like a mid nineties McDonald's uniform or <laughs> or, yeah. or a duster. I can't decide which one. I mean, all they need to have is the badge saying trainee with the nose star. <laughs> then they've got the full works, haven't they? It just looks cheap to yeah. me. It really does. It I looks agree. like a fake shirt. Yeah. No, I, I agree with you on that one. I thought that bright yellow one we had in the late 90s was bad enough, but this one's horrific. <laughs> what about you there, Dan? Any more to add to the bin? I mean, to the list? Well, yeah, yeah. Um, so Tottenham, where do I start? Oh, these? Yeah. <laughs> where do we start? <laughs> <laughs> I think we all got them on the list, haven't we? Um, I haven't. <laughs> you mean the ones that look like seats from an, a book? No, I thought it'd be different. <laughs> I, I've um, uh, I'll come on to mine later. 
Well, yeah. all the teams, I guess, are doing something different with the third kits. Yeah. There's, a, there's a lot. There's a bit of a trend where there's some like I don't know what you call it, color wash or whatever. But to do it on your second strip as well, the way the proper away kit, where it looks like I don't know what you call that, like a marble dye effect. Uh, that's just not professional, in my opinion. Uh, okay, is it me? Okay. Uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah. I have to say Leicester City's mint one. I'm not a major fan of it. I don't know whether it's because the tagline, this is mint, was used. And I thought, oh, It's a bit cheesy, yeah. Very cheesy. And I think that's just put me off it. <laughs> I don't think the sponsor helps. I don't like the sponsor on it. I don't I don't like any of Leicester shirts this year, to be honest, because of, of that mm. sponsor. <laughs> no, I, t- I kind of agree that it's not, it's not my favourite year for kits at Leicester. Uh, the, the the only thing with the mint one is that I've slightly warmed to it because there's so many fans wearing it at the games. Oh, okay. And it's it's kind of normalised it a bit for me. It does look better in person. I saw some wear it the other day mm. and I thought, okay, it's not too bad. Yeah, it's really popular, actually. It's selling well. Any more for any more? Uh, yeah, well, sticking with Spurs, I've actually gone with a home shirt because oh. I like to be different. Because, it, because it's just so boring. It's a plain white T-shirt with the logo stuck on it. And they expect <laughs> fans to pay 50, 50 quid for it. No, thanks. I think I'd rather have the tie-dyed one. Wow. That's just my opinion. There's just literally nothing on it. It's just white. You know, just put a blue line on there somewhere. Anything, something. No, I'm, I'm not a fan of it. I like a bit of colour on my kids. Yeah, fair enough, fair enough. Dan, any more, any more for you? Yeah, so you're not going to like this one, but <laughs> the Liverpool away kit. Now, same as um, same as when the Palace one, it's just something about this that irked me, and that's that you've, you seem to have stolen the collars from the an old Republic of Ireland international shirt. <laughs> and okay. I, now, that, now that I've seen it, I just can't unsee it. It, it just really annoys me. Why would you do that? You've got a big thick green on the colour, it's big thick green at the top, then a little white stripe and a little orangey colour. It's not even red, it's like orange at the bottom level of it. Yeah. And also that colour is embarrassing. Why would anyone want to wear that out? I just can't get over the collar on that shirt. I'm sorry. It's fair enough. I get I guess that's because you said collar about five times. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I actually quite like that shirt. I think it's one of our better ones in recent years. <laughs> um, anyway, moving swiftly on, my last one is um, Leeds United's third kit. It's like Palmer Velvet. Velvet, you know, the sweets, that colour. Palmer Violet. Palmer Vi- yeah, Violet one. Yeah, absolutely. Just purple. Again, I just don't know why, why Leeds have used that, to be honest. But that's my 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 one anyway. Fair enough. Oh, I've been a bit different today. Um, the other one I've got, again, I'm probably going to annoy people by saying this, but I've got my Man United's home shirt because it just looks like a Sunday League team shirt to me. And I think it's the sponsor more than anything else. The rest of it's quite smart, you know, with the Adidas stripes and the red and stuff. But that sponsor just, like, like Dan with the collar on the Liverpool shirt, that sponsor just irks me, especially on that home shirt. Right. So that's oh, why team like. viewer. Yeah, it's just, this is Manchester United, and they've got this pinpot Zoom esque sponsor on there. 
<laughs> you know, they, they need a bigger name. They need a Sharp or a, you know, Chevrolet. Chevrolet. Yeah, well, yeah, and that wasn't pretty <laughs> great. But... <laughs> what about you, Dan? Any more for you? Yeah, just a couple more, a couple of other third strips, and that's the Chelsea third one. Yeah. And the Arsenal one, which um, is a bit bizarre. Have you seen that one where it's uh, all these, it's like a jagged pattern where it's like a yes. multiple bolts of lightning flying through the shirt? <laughs> Combination of turquoise and navy blue. It's a bit, it's a bit bizarre. Lovely. Um, the only other one I've got is another third shirt and that's um, Norwich third one, which is sort of like, it's like a pinky red with a black line down the middle that doesn't quite meet, meet the middle. It just looks a bit stupid. It comes to about halfway down. There's a massive gap, and then you've got the sponsor, and then you've got a massive gap, and then you've got the black line again. And it, it, oh it, yeah, yeah. It, it just okay. it just looks ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good shout. Yeah, that's a good one. And again, where does Pinky Red come into Norwich? True that. True that. <laughs> Is that everyone's? Uh, yep. Yeah. 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 All done. So. Um, shall we get fantasy football over and done with, Dan? Because I think we've got somebody smirking like a Cheshire cat. <laughs> at the so, yeah. I was trying to be quite modest, to be honest with you. <laughs> he's, he has, to be honest, he's not been going on about it, has he? He's not very... No, he's not. He knows it's, annoying a, long, it's a long race. <laughs> yeah, I know I'm going to come unstuck. <laughs> yeah, but uh, five weeks in, um, Ant is top of the lead. Get in! Uh, <laughs> but no, he's, to be fair, he's been really impressive. He's he's been, I think, um, week one I was top, and then since then it's been out all the way. Uh, Three hundred ninety points. He's got a cushion of eighteen points. But um, Altiab Hamid, who's uh, the guru from last year, closing the gap on you, Ant. Oh no! Where's uh, where's Mister Clerk de Cruz? I miss him. I didn't see him yeah. on the list this year. No. Yeah, no, he's not joined us. He's um, took his trophy and ran, gone home. Yeah, yeah. Fair, fair play to him. <laughs> uh, I'm down in eighth place, 335 points, and Chris is in 18th, um, 304 points. Well, it's quite tight there then, Dan. So, yeah, we're, we're, like you say, Chris, we're only five weeks in. It's a marathon, not a sprint. All to play for still. Yeah. The only problem is I said this, exactly the same thing last year. <laughs> it didn't end up quite too good. <laughs> yeah, you're running on the spot in 20th place, weren't you? <laughs> yeah. I just couldn't move from it. It just didn't let me. It's almost like, oh, no, computer says no. Thank you. But you you have um, moved up the league, haven't you, Chris? Yeah, I have. Yeah. Together. I'm actually a which is quite nice. Yeah, good. Have you? Good. Is there any tips and of people that you would suggest to add on to your team, or have you just gone? You asking um, for help, Chris? I am. I am. <laughs> uh, I don't give away my secrets, mate. <laughs> I did see Ronaldo Fernandez on your team, which does add to quite a lot. <laughs> no, Fernandez is out now. Oh, yeah, I, I dropped him. I dropped him well, for Ronaldo, guy, mate. You can make these decisions. Well, I know. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Good, good. It's all about Damari Gray, isn't it? It is the cheap. The, I think one of the deals of the summer, but <laughs> one point five million for him in real life, and about five million on the the fantasy league. So <laughs> take that. 
But it, no, well I, I, I will say that when I looked at Dan's team sort of Saturday morning and you, you picked all these Wolves players, I was like, oh, fair point. Yeah, fair play. And then that didn't work out quite so well for you. But no, luckily Arsenal came through for you, didn't they? So <laughs> Yeah, it could have been a train wreck, but it wasn't too bad in the end. Yeah, I've gambled on Wolves because of the fixtures coming up. I think they'll turn it around, but it's a gamble. Yeah. It's hard. It's hard picking them, isn't it? I mean, like I got rid of Barb and Tony, and then he's obviously doing quite well last couple of weeks. I keep sort of just I keep sort of thinking, shall I put Jimenez in? And then I don't. And I know whichever week that I, I literally don't put him in, he'll score like a hat trick or something. Yeah. And he'll, he'll be. He'll, one of those he'll, he'll get there eventually. He'll get his first goal, and then it will just come. Floodgates will open. Yeah. Yeah. And then I won't be able to afford him. <laughs> <laughs> I hate that when that happens. Right then, uh, moving swiftly on then to our top tens. So this is Englishman abroad. How did you find it then, guys? Uh, I, f- I found it pretty tough, actually. Um, my list has changed order a few times. Yeah. Uh, not It's not too bad in terms of getting the ten together, but um, it was it was hard to place them i've sort of had to set my own criteria a little bit in doing that yeah i mean it's very it's very very loose criteria with this one except obviously english uh if it was if i my original one was going to be brits abroad but then we would be here for a long time trying to negotiate a top 10 for that <laughs> um but no what did you think to it and the same yeah same as dan i, I more or less had nine nailed on just picking the right order okay we'll get cracking then i'll start with you first and if that's okay please yeah no problem so my number 10 is mark hately oh yeah yeah okay so um he started his uh early days at nottingham forest but he was uh rejected as a youth team player by brian clough because he didn't think he was talented enough so the uh the six foot three target man striker was signed up by Coventry City. And there he made 93 appearances in the first division between 1978-83 and scored 25 goals with them during that time. He moved on to Portsmouth in the 83-84 season, who were in the second division at the time. And he really found his feet there at that level. He scored 22 goals in 38 league games. Now, uh, towards the end of the season, he was actually capped by England and scored a goal against Brazil in a 2-0 win. And this began to turn some heads of people abroad. And AC Milan decided to take a punt on this second division England striker. And they signed him for a million pounds in 1984. Uh, He scored 17 goals in 66 games over a three-year period in Milan. But he's best remembered for scoring the winning goal in a derby match against Inter. And it was their first derby win in six years. So that's uh, fondly remembered. Uh, we shouldn't overlook as well that he um, he was actually voted 22nd in the 1984 Ballon d'Or and 29th in the Ballon d'Or in 85. Now, after that three-year stint in Milan, he moved on to Monaco and joined uh, Arsene Wenger's team there in 1987. And he helped them win the league earned title that year, 87-88. Uh, in total, he scored 22 goals in 59 appearances, so not a bad goal return again. And he came 14th in the Ballon d'Or in 1987, which is quite impressive. Uh, he moved on to Rangers in 1990, 
in a £1 million move again. And Graeme Souness bought him, and it was a signing that actually worked out for Graeme Souness. So quite a novelty there. Got 87 goals in 165 games, and he helped Rangers win six Scottish League titles in a seven-year period. He was the uh, Football Writers Player of the Year in 93-94, as well as the Players Player of the Year. Uh, returned to England to join QPR in 1995 in a £1 million move, but he was uh, past his best by this time and he uh, it didn't really work out. His, his career started to wane at that point. Uh, totally got 32 caps for England and scored nine goals between 1984 and 1992. But he, um, he did have limited opportunities because he was playing second fiddle to uh, Lineker, Beardsley and uh, Platt into the 90s. But overall, it's hard to grumble at um, his success abroad, especially winning the uh, the league title in with Monaco and um, being voted 14th in a Ballon d'Or. It's uh, quite impressive. Yeah, I'll be honest with you. Um, for a long time, I always thought Mark Cady was Scottish just because he played at Rangers. <laughs> okay. But, but yeah, fantastic career, wasn't it? Moving from Division 2 to AC Milan, unbelievable. Yeah, surprising. They just took a punt on him. Um, it wasn't, they, weren't, um, they weren't at the, the heights peak. that we know them to be. Yeah, exactly. That's the word. They weren't at their peak at that time. They were rebuilding. Yeah. But they yeah, just took a punt on him after they saw uh, this, this big target man who could bully defenders and helped England beat Brazil. No, yeah, brilliant. Right, then I'll mix it up a bit. I'll go next with a highly controversial one, guys. It's going to be Tony Cascarino. <laughs> He's an Irish international, but he isn't actually born in Ireland. That's your list. We'll have to let you have it. Yeah. <laughs> no, because I'll tell you the reason why. Because his father, he was actually adopted at birth, so he didn't have any blood relatives. And no one checked that up. And Jack Charlton was like, he brushed it aside. So you look it up. It's all on. It's all all there. It's so we're calling him an Englishman. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, he's an Englishman. He's from <laughs> Orbington. He's down down Antsway. My <laughs> um my ex girlfriend's mum used to go out with him. See, mate, she. I, I I can vouch for the Orpington <laughs> bit. <laughs> Right then, so anyway, he's my number 10. So after playing for Gillingham, Millwall, Villa, Celtic and Chelsea, in his early 30s, he decided to move to France and he joined Marseille. At that point, Marseille were in Division 2. This was due to the max-fixing scandal that they were involved in. Uh, this was in 1993. He had three seasons there, netted 31 times in his first season, but due to the off-the-pitch activities, still, they couldn't get promoted. So the following season, he did a similar um, amount, which was 30 times he scored. But then they were picked for the title by Cam. This time, Marseille were allowed to be promoted. But unfortunately, um, at that time, they were then obviously allowed to buy more players. So I think one of their purchases was Lechkov, Bulgarian. And with that money and a change of ownership and direction, unfortunately, it was surp surplus for requirements and moved to Nancy. Um, he made 84 appearances for Marseille, scoring 61 goals. 
the the Marseille fans nicknamed him Tony Goal. So anyway, he's at Nancy now, and he played three seasons, making 109 appearances, scoring 44 goals. And he also became the oldest player to score a hat-trick in France at 37 years old. Uh, finished his career actually in Division 3, a French team called Red Star 93. And I just think just because of his scoring record in France and that he managed um, to get a high amount, I know it was in a slightly lower division, but in Nancy, he was actually in the top league. That I put him there in the top 10 and because it's near the end of his career and he made that jump. Um, I've gone with uh, David Platt. Ooh. <laughs> What's ooh? He's my number four. Oh, okay. He's number seven on my list. Oh, okay. Do you want, do you want to talk about it now? Yeah, we'll talk about him now. It's fine. All right, I've not written a great deal to be honest. Um, so after after an impressive World Cup, um, he he got this he drew, drew the attention of um, Serie A, and a year later he signed for um, Barry for five point five million. Um, he hit an impressive eleven goals in in his first season, but it wasn't quite enough to stop them from getting relegated, and so he was then forced to move on. Um, Juventus came came to his rescue and they narrowly beat Sampdoria to his signature. Um, but he only really, he was only really a squad player in, in Turin. So then the following season, Sampdoria tried again and this time they, they got their man and he enjoyed um, two successful seasons alongside his good mate, Roberto Mancini, winning the Coppa Italia under Svengor and Ericsson. And I think he scored something like... Um, Yeah, he played 55 league games for Sampdoria and he scored 17 goals. And I think by, by, by the time he then came back to England with Arsenal, he was almost technically, you know, he he had everything, passing, dribbling, finishing, the lot. That's why he was, he was such a good signing for Arsenal. Uh, that's pretty much all I have. That's good. Yeah, I've got that. Uh, Mancini tried to sort of tap him up a couple of times <laughs> yeah. uh, to get him to join Sampdoria. Uh, first time didn't quite work out. And then I think he used his contacts to get him to Sampdoria. Um, that's really about all I can, can really add on that. Uh, well, I'd add that when he was at Juventus, he, although he was a squad player, he did win the UEFA Cup with them. And with Sampdoria, he won the Coppa Italia in 93-94. So that, that's why I put him a bit higher on my list. I'm oh, sorry, I meant to say that. He won the Copitalia. Missed a bit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well added. Yeah. Per il sinistro, effettuare un cross sul quale stacca Platt, poi Mancini. Forbice di Platt, il gol incredibile dell'inglese. Stupendo gol di Platt su una palla che. Right then, Dan, your number nine, please, mate. Oh, number nine, I've gone for Glenn Hoddle. Oh, my number six. Oh, my number eight. 
Oh, there we go. More or less the same sort of area with it. Okay. So yeah, I just I just put it as an overview. He was um, he was a very gifted English footballer, one of the most gifted players of his generation, uh, renowned for his balance, close control, vision of passing, tactical intelligence, and uh, he scored some stunning goals as well, which always helps. Uh, made his debut for Tottenham, aged 17, in 1975, and he helped them get promoted back to the first division, and he got his uh, first England call up in 1979. Uh, it was the 79-80 season that saw him really emerge as a top-class player, and he scored, he scored 19 goals in 41 league appearances and won the PFA Young Player of the Year award. Helped Tottenham win the FA Cup in 81-82, uh, finished fourth in the league and reached the League Cup final and the semi-finals of the Cup Winners' Cup. Uh, in 1983, they beat Feyenoord 6-2 on aggregate, and Johan Cruyff swapped shirts with him out of respect for his impressive performances. Uh, Tottenham went on to win the UEFA Cup in 1984 as well. So um, he was the he was the star man of the show as they went on to big things. Uh, the success continued at Spurs. They had strong league finishes and they got to the cup finals, although Hoddle didn't actually win another trophy with Tottenham. And it was after the, the Heisel incident where um, English teams could no longer play in Europe after that, that uh, Hoddle expressed his desire to play abroad. And it was in 1987, he joined Arsene Wenger at Monaco for a fee of £750,000. So he was with Mark Hately there, and George Ware is in that team as well. In his first season, he won that league and title. And he was also voted the best foreign player in the French league when they won that title that season. Uh, His form seemed to improve even further, and he contributed 18 league goals from 32 appearances the next season. And that's, that's from midfield, so that's quite impressive. Uh, but um, it was at the start of the 89-90 season that he suffered a serious knee injury and um, it was after that he never really recovered. He couldn't play at the top level anymore. So he, um, he returned to England when his contract was up. He trained with Chelsea just to get some fitness and then he became the player manager at Swindon. Uh, he guided Swindon to promotion, beating Leicester 4-3 in the 93 playoff final. And then he was immediately recruited by Chelsea to become their player manager. And then that was when he made his final appearances in the Premier League. Um, he made 53 appearances for England, and he was included in the squads for 1982 and 86, as well as the Euros in 1980 and 1988. But um, overall, he wasn't really able to replicate his club form at international level. Uh, there's a strong argument, though, a bit of one for one for debate, maybe, that um, some of the England coaches didn't really appreciate his technical continental playing style and at the time it was a bit unfashionable and hard men in inverted commas seemed to get the nod over technical ability and flair uh, so ron greenwood in particular when he was the manager didn't favor hoddle and even bobby robson when he first took over as england manager and uh, i think it was 82 he dropped kevin keegan from his first squad <laughs> which was which was very controversial uh, one of the, one of the best players england had at the time so yeah that's uh, that's what i've got on hoddle um I think he achieved quite a lot in the game. He was excellent at Monaco in those first couple of seasons. And uh, there's some great accolades there with the amount of goals he scored for midfield, winning the league on title and being voted the best foreign player in the league. So that's why I've made him number nine on the list. Yeah. Now, the only thing I can add is that he could have joined PSG um, as well. He was managed by uh, Gerard Houllier, but he found that him and Wenger were on the same wavelength. And I think that's the the playing styles coming out again, isn't it? 
and Wenger let him play sort of, I think it was attacking mid, the guy just behind the front two, number 10 role. And he just seemed to thrive on it, didn't he, by the sounds of things? Oh, okay. No, that's really good. Yeah, okay. I, I can't I can't add anything to that. No, no, I think Dan's done a good just job a, there. Fact, he was a great player. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay, so my next one is a, another sort of a bit of a wild card. Is he English? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Paolo Di Canio. <laughs> <laughs> May I, like I said, look up Wikipedia on the other guy and you'll soon see it. He's doing it, he put it in his book. I will send you the link. Um, Bradley Wright Phillips. Oh, okay, yeah. all right. Is he on it's your list at all? No. 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 Okay, no. so obviously, as we know him as a graduate from the Man City team, Academy, sorry, struggled to be a regular there. So he had a few, um, went on loan and full-time moves, which included Southampton, Plymouth, Charlton and Brentford. Then moved to the MLS with New York Red Bulls in 2013. His first full season ended up top scorer, scoring 31 goals in 38 appearances, which saw him win Golden Boots. He then um, repeated that in 2016. Till the end of the 2018 season, he would net 124 goals in 210 games and was the first person to reach 100 goals in the quickest time. I think beating the original best by six goals, and I think that was Juan Pablo Angel. Um, at, um, after his move in 2020 to LAFC, his shirt at New York Red Bulls, the number 99, has now been retired in honour of him. <laughs> Still playing at the moment at Columbus Crew, um, which he signed for free this year. Um, but yeah, I just thought I'd add him, add him on there just because I know the MLS isn't the sort of level that we, that you know, that we probably other players are, are we talking about, you know, or the Italian leagues or French leagues. But I just think he's probably worth a shout out because he's obviously worked really hard, took the risk of going to America and he's obviously done really well there and sort of fair play to him really, isn't it? That sort of goal scoring record, you still got to bang them in. I'm I'm blown away by those stats, to be honest, Chris. I think he's a great shout. Yeah, he's he's only 36 as well. Rightio, and what's your number nine? I've gone with uh, Jaden Sancho. He's he on... uh, he's. No, not on my list. Okay. Not on my list. All right. I mean, I know he hasn't won anything at, at Dortmund, but I've, I've put him in because he sort of started the, the sort of trend for youngsters to go, like really young, really young youngsters go abroad and become really good players. I mean, we've seen it with Bellingham, obviously, and um, a couple of other ones that have gone over to Germany. But he, he started off at Watford. Uh, he moved on to Man City's um, academy side. And then he, he became the standout player at the Euros, uh, the under-17 the under Euros in 2017. And he sort of feared that he probably wouldn't really get in the first team at Man City. So he was allowed to sign for Dortmund for 7.5 million. First season was a bit interrupted by injury, um, but he did manage to break into the first team and he scored his first senior goal. 
And then his second season, he quickly pushed Christian Pulisic out of the first 11 and he finished with 12 goals and a league high 18 assists as Dortmund really ran uh, Bayern close to the title. And then obviously he then got promoted to the England first team. Um, and in his sort of second full season with uh, Dortmund, he then got 16 goals and 17 assists in all competitions. And I think the season before he came, I think last season before he came to Man United, he got 16 goals in all competitions. And obviously, as we know, he has signed for Manchester United for 70-odd million. So clearly they think highly of him and he's an England regular. So, yeah, that's that's why he's on my list. I think it's been great for him out there. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the, the assists on that season, the 18 assists, fantastic record. My person, I was oohing and ahhing about him, but because I, he's so young at the moment, I thought he might go back to back to Europe. So I thought I'll leave him out of this this particular list. He's um, probably thinking, why did he sign for Man United when he signed for Ronaldo? But <laughs> well, <laughs> there you yeah. go. Yeah. No, this is a great shout out. That's, that's, no. His stats for assists in particular were outstanding, weren't they? Really yeah. put himself on the map out there. He played yeah. really well. He'll find his feet at Man United, I've no doubt. Yeah. It's just whether he gets in the team. Time, isn't it? It's got to give him time. Yeah. Now Guerrero. It's still Guerrero. Brings Sancho with him. Still Jaden Sancho! A lovely goal! And perhaps one of the most crucial as well in a turbulent season. All right, so Dan, your number eight, please. All right, this one might upset you both a little bit. Number eight, I've gone for David Beckham. He's my number eight. He's my number six. Okay, all right, we're on a similar page then. All right, I've um, I've kept it fairly brief because I think we all we all know a lot about Beckham. <laughs> so um, at Man United, he won six Premier League titles, two FA Cups, a Champions League, but um, he had uh, tensions with Alex Ferguson, and then it led to a move to Real Madrid in 2003 for £24.5 million. So he's joined Real Madrid, joined the Galacticos, and um, whether it's a criticism or, or not, I've put down, he was signed as a symbol of stardom, really, and joined the Galacticos. It was, a, it was a big name, and I think that's why they've recruited him. But uh, Real only finished fourth in his first season with Real and uh, Carlos Kios lost his job uh, next season they finished second and it was the 2005-2006 season which brought some uh, mixed fortunes because Beckham was sent off three times that season in the league but he did finish with the most assists in the league that year which is, is quite impressive and Real they um, gave Barca a run for the money that season they finished second to them though it was the final season of Beckham with Real Madrid in 2006-2007, where he actually found himself out of favour with the manager at the time, Fabio Capello, and he was used uh, sparingly. But um, he did play a part, and Real went on to win the La Liga title that year. Uh, it, during his time with Real, they didn't win a Champions League, but um, Beckham did move on to LA Galaxy, where he spent six seasons. And although, like Chris touched on, it's not football at the highest level, uh, there was a there was a stat in 2013 that Beckham was the highest played footballer in the world at that point. So if he's had to go abroad to do that, that that in itself is um, 
it's worth merit. So yeah, I've put him down at number eight because I didn't think he was entirely successful in his moves. Um, but at the same time, he did play for Real Madrid. He did play at a very high level and um, did himself credit out there. So um, I, I just had mixed feelings about Beckham and where I should put him on the list. And I've, I've just gone for number eight in the end. Yeah, fair enough. That's kind of how I felt about him. I think... 100%. I mean, how on earth you look at that Real Madrid team in that era and they hardly want anything. I know you had Barcelona up there as well, but with that Figo, Zidane, Ronaldo, and yet they still couldn't get over the line only the one time. It's just unbelievable. Yeah. I, I echo all those thoughts, really, what you said about, about it. I mean, obviously, the move to America was very commercialised. It wasn't he could have probably gone to any country and would have got just as much. Yeah, I, I, maybe I didn't word it very well. I'm just trying to nod that it was um, it was a, it was a success for commercial reasons, not, not yeah. necessarily for. Oh one. yeah, incredible! And, I mean, the way that it's yeah. raised the profile in that in the MLS now, and you see another famous players going over now to follow suit, haven't you? Now you know Pirlo's done it, Kaka. Yeah, yeah. You know, so I'll, so I'll give him credit for that, and I think he does deserve yeah. credit for that. But yeah, on the balance of success, you, yeah. you know, I totally agree, and that's why I put him at my number eight as well. So, okay. um, I didn't think I wasn't sure you were both going to go that way with it, but no, um, no, yeah. I mean, I think with Beckham, it, you know, it, it doesn't really matter what he won in football, does it? Because he no. was just, you know, he was just a star. He was, yeah. you know, it, it was beyond football, wasn't he? he was yeah, just, I mean, yeah. apparently yeah. as well. Was it, am I right with PSG? Didn't. He gave all his wages to charity as well, or a lot of his wages went to UNICEF when he went something home. Like, something like that, yeah. yeah Which, yeah. I mean, just shows he's a good guy as well. And, yeah, you know, he just enjoyed playing football. Absolutely, yeah. You bang on with that. 25 yards out, you mentioned the Hollywood script. In his first start, can he deliver his first goal? And that looks about 25 yards out to me, Mark. He's got about six people in the wall covering the near side, Troy Perkins does. Kenny Bendy. Back up! It's in the net! It's in the net! Right, and on your number eight, please, mate. Uh, I had Glenn Hoddle. Oh, brilliant. Okay. Straight back over to you for number seven. Oh, well, number seven was David Platt. Oh, okay. No. Bit of tennis. <laughs> okay, yeah. Mine is a guy called Jerry Hitchens. Anyone yes, heard I've heard. Him? I've heard of him. I didn't actually put him on my list in the end, but I was going to give him an honourable mention. Name rings a bell. I, I, I don't really know anything about him, though. Yeah, okay. I'll let you know a bit about him then. So he played for Kidderminster, Cardiff, and Villa before joining Inter Milan in 1961. Uh, he cost them £85,000. Um, he was actually seen by Inter Scouts after watching England beat Italy 3-2, where he scored twice for England. He uh, scored two goals on his debut, got the nicknames Al Cane, the Cannon, and El Principe del Gigardo di Chalolo, the Prince of Football, for his impressive performances. So in his first, first season at Inter, he finished top scorer and won Serie A. And also internationally, 
only because of injuries and loss of form with some of the players, he was called up to face Switzerland just before the World Cup in 1962. And a, and a goal was enough for him to be called up in into the squad for the World Cup. Uh, England actually reached the quarterfinals that year. He played seven games and scored five times. However, uh, with regards to uh, future England international call-ups, uh, England changed manager at that time. And Alf Ramsey said that he wouldn't allow English players that were playing out of England to go in any of the squads. So that unfortunately was one of his last caps. But anyway, back into his club form, uh, the following season, he moved to Torino in 1962, where he'd spent two and a half years there, notching 28 goals in 69 games, then spent another two seasons at Atalanta as well. So overall, he spent eight seasons in Italy, and that's the longest that any English uh, footballer has ever spent in the professional era. And he just wanted to move away from England just for a different culture and just to see different things from the normal, uh, you know, bread and butter that they got in England. I think he was from a mining family as well. So it was all a bit very different lifestyles. He did struggle at the beginning. Um, but as, you, as, as I've said, he ended up being top scorer, scorer first season. So he did very well. That's why I put him quite high up because obviously he sort of was a bit of a trendsetter. And he moved at the same time as uh, Jimmy Greaves as well. And they used to uh, meet up um, because Jimmy Greaves played for AC Milan. He played for Inter. So they used to just go to the pub and just sort of socialise together. But then obviously Jimmy Greaves left, left quite quickly. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so, so that's my number seven. Oh, that's a great shout, that one. Yeah, I didn't actually come across him when I was researching this yeah yeah it's a good interesting story here's someone going abroad abroad as well i'd never really heard of him until i did the re- my research on it so no good work okay mate and my number seven is gary lineker he's my number five. Oh, my number six. Oh, okay there we go all in harmony today. <clears throat> so after winning the Mexico 86 Golden Boot, um, he was obviously very well sought after and it was uh, Terry Venables that snapped him up for Barcelona and he became an instant hit at Camp Nou. He got a hat-trick in, in the El Clasico and he finished his debut season with 21 goals. Uh, he also managed to put four past Barca keeper Andoni Zubizarreta as England beat Spain 4-2 in Madrid. Uh, his second season, um, he managed to get another 20 goals for Barcelona as they won the Copa del Rey. However, his third season saw the arrival of a certain average player called Johan Cruyff. And uh, he was moved to the right of midfield, but he still managed to win the European Cup Winners' Cup and score 11 goals. Obviously, seeing his opportunities uh, a little bit limited, he returned to England uh, with Venables again. For Tottenham, um, he had another successful World Cup and spell in North London, and then he decided to go to Japan to finish his finish his career. Um, and yeah, he, he sort of had two injury hit seasons out there, but you know you can't knock his achievements in Barcelona. Went under the radar a lot, didn't it? 
to be honest. It wasn't a well-known um, transfer that he went to Barcelona. And Eltel tried to bring in a few more British players. I think Steve the lads. Gold, yeah, <laughs> Mark Hughes. He's trying to, you know, get lads hardworking, gritty guys. <laughs> but yeah, I, it's nice to see that he was given the Emil Heskey role at England as well. <laughs> Which, yeah, fantastic record though. 20 goals in the first two seasons. Yeah, and he got he got a hat trick against Real Madrid as well. Yeah, he's a fantastic player. Yeah, uh, I put I've made a few more notes on his um, career before his move, just to give a bit of foreshadowing. Where um, obviously he started out at Leicester City, and he he got them promoted, and then when they were in the top flight, he actually um, got the Golden Boot Award in eighty four, eighty five. Moved to Everton for eight hundred thousand pounds, and um, <laughs> a funny note was that um, the first game for Everton was away at Leicester. And at half time, he walked into the wrong dressing room. <laughs> <laughs> Made me laugh. But, um, well, yeah, imagine it, it's easily done. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, at Everton, um, they were beaten to the league title and FA Cup by Liverpool. But he, he won the Golden Boot again and was voted the um, the Players' Player of the Year and the Football Writers' Player of the Year. And then the 1986 World Cup came where he won the Golden Boot and he came runner-up in the Ballon d'Or. Yeah. And, and that was the point where... Barcelona got the go-ahead to sign him, so yeah, it was obviously a it was a it was a top top striker what they signed as well for um I think it was two point eight million, so quite a big sum as well. That's a good shout. That was. It's a bit funny though. We're, we've obviously moved to Japan. It was almost like a trend setting for Beckham, wasn't he? Almost in a weird way, you know, going to another country where football wasn't their number one sport and he's trying to make it a worldwide worldwide thing and it's I think it, I, I think it's because his only other offer was Middlesbrough at the time so <laughs> oh, I'll go to Japan then um, yeah he joined them for two million pounds as well and they only played 18 games <laughs> felt a bit sorry for Grand per se but but not too sorry because I know that they um they won a lot when Stojkovic joined a year later <laughs> Dream team. <laughs> Could have been. Okay, then, Dan, which one's your number six? That was Lineker. That was Lineker. I had Hoddle. I had Beckham. Ah. Okay. So we'll go on to your number five then, Dan, please. Okay. I wasn't 100% that I was on 10 foot of concrete with this one, but I feel a bit better after Chris went with Tony Cascarino. <laughs> glad, that, glad that made you feel more comfortable. <laughs> so my number five is Owen Hargreaves. Get out. Snap. Get Snap. out. <laughs> uh, I've got it as well. That's all right. That's good. I thought I was going to get some stick for putting him in, so I'm glad someone else has gone for him. No, no. Oh, good. He had about four to pick from, didn't he? Countries to pick from, so. <laughs> yeah, he did, yeah. So, uh, yeah, he, he obviously he grew up in Canada and he signed for the Bayern Munich Academy in 1997. Uh, he made some appearances for Wales at under-19 level, but then he, he switched to England and made um, under-21 appearances for them, uh, followed by a full debut. Uh, shortly after making his debut for Bayern in August 2000. 
So um, the reason I put him on the list is that during his seven years with Bayern, he won four Bundesliga titles, three German Cups, a Champions League, and an Intercontinental Cup. So there's um, there's quite a, quite a decorated footballer when you look at it in those terms. Uh, he obviously broke into the England team quite early, and he was a very sought-after player when uh, Man United snapped him up for £17 million. Pounds. Um, he won a Premier League and a Champions League double with United in his maiden season. But uh, ultimately, his time there is defined by injuries. And I've, um, for the fun of it, I've made a list of injuries that he's had <laughs> after he joined United. So um, he's too, he suffered a broken leg before they signed him. And then in 2007-2008, he missed four games because of patella tendonitis. The following season, he missed... Um, 60 games because of patella problems. He had further knee problems and missed five games towards the end of the 08-09 season. In the 9-10 season, he missed 29 games because of knee problems. In 2010-2011, he missed 30 games because of a thigh problem and then a further 10 games because of knee problems. So um, it was all quite a sad end. uh, And he, he only made four Premier League appearances in his final three seasons with Man United before he was released. So, um, yeah, it all came to a really sad end after he joined for United, but I put him on this list because his days at Bayern were incredible. He, he had all that success, four Bundesliga titles, three German Cups, Champions League and Intercontinental Cup. And there's not many Englishmen that can say that. No, no, that's And you forgot his YouTube videos as well. Well, yeah, trying to trying to show that he's not injured. (laughs) Didn't trying to show that he didn't have chronic knee issues. Yeah, Man City fell for it. (laughs) (laughs) Gave him a one-year contract, and he would he play like three minutes? (laughs) No, no, I I like that one. I must admit, I did consider it, but um, but yeah, that's good. The only thing I was going to add was um. Obviously, how much sort of scepticism he had in in England when he first broke into the, the England squad, and myself included, because I didn't really know who he was. Um, and he sort of became a bit of a whipping boy for ages. And then yeah. I know we didn't have the greatest 2006 World Cup, but he, I think he ended up being like our, our player of the tournament. With yeah, some impressive performances, and I think people then sort of opened their eyes to him a bit and became a bit more accepted in the amongst the England fans. Well, as soon as he went to Man United, I think... Well, that probably went out the door again. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably a bit like Henderson in England. No one no one likes him outside of Liverpool fans. You know, yeah. It's, it's sort of a similar sort of thing. Just because he's not flashy and he, he doesn't score bags of goals. Okay, enough. Right, my number five was Gary Lineker. So over to you. Um, my number five was Owen Hargreaves. Oh, okay. Dan, number four. My number four, I've gone for Kevin Keegan. Oh, he's my number three. You can wait on that one if you want. He was my number two. Oh, we have to wait on that one then. Uh, mine was David Platt. And I put him high because he spent a long time in Italy. And he was... At overall very quite successful um i know obviously his time at juve wasn't particularly great but he still picked up a medal and um just the longevity 
really factor with me. That's why I did that number four. Uh, and okay, so this is kind of my obscure one, which oh, okay. either you've never heard of Dan or Dan's got a book on him, or is it Dan's number one? Um, <laughs> I've gone with Herbert Gil Kilpin. Was this eight, the one from the 1800s? Uh, he's, he's around then, yeah. He is my number one. I thought he might be. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we'll have to leave that one then. Yeah, I'll look forward to hearing this one. I will be. I was kind of swaying to having number one myself, and I was like, nah, I better not. <laughs> Wish I'd done it now. Hey, yeah. Right, so, uh, number three. My number three is Chris Waddle. Oh, he's my number two. He was my number one. Oh. Well, we'll hold hold far with that one, and I'll get... Do you want me to get Keegan out of the way, then? As he's my number three. Uh, yeah. Can do, yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. Right, so... Uh, so, what what number was he for you, uh, Ant? Who are we on, Keegan? Uh, yeah. Number two. Number two. And he was your number four, wasn't he? Um, yeah, that's right. Then, yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So with with Keegan, um, after six seasons at Liverpool, which included three league titles, Keegan wanted to leave, but there was a, a half a million release clause on his contract. Most of the uh, top European clubs at the time sort of shied away from that because obviously at that time it's a tremendous amount of money. Um, but only one team met it, and that was uh, HSV Hamburg. Um, also, Liverpool weren't happy that he wanted to leave anyway, and I think he left quite unceremoniously. Um, but anyway, so Hamburg met this release clause, uh, mainly due to the owner being one of Hitachi's kingpins. That's a Dr. Peter Korn. So that happened in 1977. So at the beginning of his tenure there, uh, things didn't really start particularly well because a lot of his teammates were quite jealous with obviously his high transfer fee and high wages. Um, so they resorted into not passing him the ball. He got sent off in a friendly and was also suspended by the club for eight, for eight weeks. Eventually, he managed to turn his teammates on the side he started to get invited to nights out, and even the central defender even um, gave him a bit of a haircut and permed his hair. But um, after his slow start to life there, his form came good in the second half of the season. So much so, they actually won the Ballon d'Or. But his club were only mid-table at the end of that season. So on to the second season now, uh, Hamburg changed manager and promptly won the title. Keegan scored 11 goals in the last 12 games of that season and promptly won the Ballon d'Or again. The uh, Hamburg fans christened him um, Matchtig Mouse, which is Mighty Mouse. And there's also a song released as well. Um, with this second manager, is very much uh, quite up on um, training standards to be prompt and uh, high levels of intensity training, which didn't always um, help Keegan and he, he didn't particularly like it. 
Um, but the following year, uh, Hamburg reached the final of the Champions League versus a certain Nottingham Forest. Forest played more or less 10 men behind the ball and beat them 1-0. And uh, Keegan made it known that he wanted to leave. But again, there was this half a million release clause that was added on a contract that he signed the season before. Um, but to everyone's surprise, which we mentioned on a podcast before, he moved to Southampton, which was a very um, out-of-the-blue move. And um, during his time at Hamburg, he made 101 appearances. And he scored 40 times over that three seasons. And just to win the Ballon d'Or twice and to have such a rocky start to turn it round, keep up that high consistency, that's why I put him on the top three because he's fantastic there. Obviously a little bit um, prima donna-ish, I think you could probably say, but he had all right to be, didn't he? He was a top player at Liverpool, top player there. So fair play to him. Got anything else to add there, guys? No, I think you've about covered it, to be honest, mate. You've, you've covered it really well. The, the only the only note I wanted to add is um, it's in the context of I've, I put it number four on my list, and I was, I was this is me debating with myself whether it should be number four, should it be number two, or whatever. And uh, I, I questioned his Ballon d'Or in 1978. It, Hamburg had finished tenth in the league. England haven't even qualified for the World Cup in 78. How has he won that Ballon d'Or? <laughs> I just can't get my head around it at all. I know. And also, against, do we know? <laughs> and also, he played like half a season outstandingly, and that was it. It wasn't a full yeah. season either. It was just a, a very random <laughs> win. I think. Yeah. So I, I, I don't know. I don't. I don't buy that. I think there's something fishy about that, and that, that's that's the reason I put it number four. But apart from that, I thought you covered it brilliantly, Chris. Cool. Right then, um. Your number three. Steve McManaman. Oh, he's my Uno. Yeah, I thought he might be. Uh, he's my <laughs> number two. Cool. Go on then. Shall we get that, get that one? Uh, yep, yeah, go on then. Um, sore subject, Steve McManaman, because obviously I loved him as a kid and he left for Real Madrid. But, um, <laughs> obviously, in 1999, he moved to Real Madrid and everyone thought he'd fail. You know, because Real Madrid were riddled with debt and political infighting and all this. And I think the manager who signed him was then got sacked um, even before Man even kicked the ball out there. However, he, he became this instant hit out there and he, he set up a, a late equaliser on his debut, scored on his home debut, and then he quickly established himself as a fan's favourite and a, a dressing room presence. That um, his career-defining match came in the 2000 Champions League final, when he turned in a match-winning performance and grabbed a crucial second goal in a 3-0 win over Valencia. Um, even though that Real were buying all these Galacticos left, right, and centre, man, man still remained prominent in in the team. Um, it, and eventually, saw him win the uh, La Liga in 2001. The following season saw a second Champions League win, although he was only a substitute at that time. And then by the time 0203 season came along, he was obviously then a squad player, although he still turned in some really memorable European performances. And he finally moved back to England in the summer of 2003. And former manager Vincent Del Bosque has constantly 
sorry, consistently stated his admiration for for McManaman, um, and he's he's considered a club legend out there. It's not bad for someone who was tipped to fail. First Bosman one, wasn't he? The first high-profile yeah. Bosman move. Makes it even worse, Chris, that he left on a free. Yeah. Very underrated player, I always thought. Gutted. First Absolutely move. gutted, I was. <laughs> no, I made quite a few notes on him, actually. He, um, he sort of... Initially, he was a winger, wasn't he, when he broke yeah. through at Liverpool? He was a really pacey winger, and it was his dribbling ability which caught the eye. And he could cross the ball with either foot as well. And he was handed his debut by Souness. Uh, helped Liverpool win the FA Cup in 92. He um, was moved by Roy Evans into a more central position, which gave him the license to sort of free roam and use his dribb- dribbling abilities all over the pitch. And this really helped sort of define Liverpool's playing style um, to an extent. They, they were struggling at the time in the Premier League. And they became sort of a, a fast-paced attacking team and uh McManaman was really central to that he was he was their star man for a number of years really if, if you if you look at the football away from the goals uh, it was after the 95 league cup win uh McManaman scored two goals to help them win 2-1 against Bolton as after the final Sir Stanley Matthews said to McManaman I like the way you dribble you remind me of me when I was young <laughs> <laughs> oh, I like that um before he left for Real, um, there'd actually been a £12 million bid from Barcelona in a, a deal that fell through, and Liverpool rejected an £11 million bid from Juventus. So it just goes to show how much interest there was in him at the time. And um, Alex Ferguson tried numerous times to sign him for Man United. He was, a, he was a big fan. I think he just had this wet dream of gigs on the left and McManaman on the right. <laughs> oh, that uh, goal he scored against Celtic. Yeah, I remember yeah. that from his own heart. Went from, went from right right back, diagonally across the pitch and curled it in the last minute. And I remember that. Practically went through the floorboards, jumping up and down, <laughs> celebrating. Yeah, it's special. Um, at Rail, it was, it was voted the um, the fans' prayer of the season a couple of times, wasn't he? Yeah. He, um, the, the thing I noted is that he was uh, actually put up for sale after his first season because this, this, this blashed out. It was... 37 million pounds on Figo and um, they'd already been riddled with debt before that point so they tried to sell all their top players including McManaman but he, he wouldn't go he um, he said he just got there he, he was really committed to the club and he got on really well with all the players and um, his attitude and his hard work really shone through and in a time where there was a lot of change and a lot of moving parts at Real Madrid he was one of the players that was most consistent and he was very popular in the dressing room like you said he, he helped knit everything together and this this is off the pitch and on the pitch as well uh, i've got a quote from johan cruyff where he described McManaman as the most useful player at the galacticos because he was everyone's best partner on the pitch and uh, one time manager george valdano said that McManaman is connected to everybody a football match is a game of little societies and McManaman is a member of them all just go to show how well he, he blended with his teammates and that to me is is a, a big measure of um, an Englishman going abroad and being successful going to a, a star team like that and being so integral to it yeah and also he wasn't like really um massive drops in form that he left it was just like they just relegated into a squad player and I think there's so much infighting between the backroom staff and the president Mr Perez 
that I think he was unfortunately the cadden prodder that that had to go because of it. Yeah, it's it Beckham's arrival as well, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, um, they, they, they kept <laughs> how, how him around. <laughs> they kept him to around to help Beckham to settle in, and then by the end of the off season, they just they released him, cut the ties, which was a bit harsh. And, and Beckham begged them to let him stay as well. Yeah. But yeah, he finished it with two Champions League titles, two La Liga titles. It's quite impressive. Yeah, and he only got an FA Cup and a League Cup at Liverpool, didn't he? Yeah. <laughs> well, says it all, really, doesn't it? Carlos, el que vuelva a servir al punto penalti, Yuki del que toca, Magmanaman el que llega, chuta, Magmanaman, gol, 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 I had them at number one, but oh, brilliant! Feel free to you start this one, and I'll chip in. Cool. Okay. So, um, started out at Newcastle as a 19-year-old, and he quickly established himself as a dangerous attacking player alongside Kevin Keegan and Peter Beardsley. Uh, scored 46 goals in 170 games between 1980 and 85, and then he moved on to Tottenham for a fee of 590,000 pounds, which was decided by a tribunal. Uh, he went on to score his first hat-trick uh, in 1984 against QPR. Uh, I voted this because Tottenham were falling up at half-time and then QPR fought back to draw 5-5. Wow. <laughs> they hadn't come across that game before. Uh, he had uh, further success at Tottenham and uh, in 1989, Marseille came in for him. He signed for £4.5 million, which at the time made him the third most expensive player in the world. Quite incredible. And uh, we've talked about this a little bit before, where um, at Marseille at that time, he formed part of a front three with Jean-Pierre Papin and Abidi Pelé. And um, his performances at Marseille um, catapulted him into legendary status. Uh, it was so dynamic down the wing. Uh, if, if you could get the chance to go on YouTube, I'd suggest going and look at some of the footage of Waddle at Marseille, the, the feints and the stepovers, the showboating. And then the the ease of the goals as well. It was um, it was really great. He got the the nickname from fans, Magic Chris, and um, it was a thing of legends where apparently he could park wherever he wanted in the city. Uh, the traffic wardens, when they realised it was his car, they either ripped up his tickets or they kept them as souvenirs. He was it was an absolute city legend there in in Marseille. Uh, he was he was there in, for three seasons. And he won three successive league and titles with Marseille. Uh, I know there's a backdrop of corruption and all that, but the the achievements on the pitch were exceptional. Uh, he also reached the European Cup final in 1991, and he was uh, in 1998 at Marseille's centenary event. He was voted their second best player of all time. Wow, which is which is incredible. Uh, he's got 22 goals in total in 107 appearances for Marseille. Uh, with England, he made 62 appearances between 85 and 91 and obviously played a starring role in the 1990 World Cup. Uh, what I wanted to know as well, that he's still at Marseille until 1992. Why on earth has Graham Taylor not took him to the Euros in 92? I, I just 
cannot believe that. For me, that is just an absolute travesty. And then after he left Marseille, he joined Sheffield Wednesday for a £1 million fee. And um, they picked up a bargain there because he um, he went on to win the Football Writers Player of the Year in 92-93. He, he still had it. And he played for a few more years there. But yeah, for me, he's an underrated player. He was an absolute star. And I could totally understand why Ant's got him at number one on his list. What yeah. was incredible. And the, re- the main reason I put him at number one is because I think out of all the names we've mentioned tonight, uh, he is considered sort of God at Marseille. Oh, yeah. I, yeah, yeah. I don't think anyone else has got that status at any of these other clubs we've spoken about. Still now. Still uh, now. An, an Englishman no. being God at a French club is pretty much <laughs> unheard of, really, isn't it? Let's be honest. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? It's such a shame, you know, about whenever like, our generation or below, they hear, hear about Chris Waddle and what do people say? The penalty missing your the 1990s. No, yeah. no, but that's what they talk about, isn't it? And you see all the fantastic stuff he's, he's done at Marseille and even at Chef Wednesday. I mean, like you were saying in the 1991 uh, European Cup, it was called the um, final. He didn't take a penalty, did he, for fear of missing again? It hit him that much mentally. I think it affected, in a way, to an extent, his play as well, that miss. I, I don't think he was the same player that came back to Marseille that went before the World Cup because of that miss. I think it really, really got to him, which it would do, wouldn't it? Because it was just such a bad penalty. And at that time as well, you probably would put all your money on him scoring it because he's that much of a superstar. <laughs> a bit like when Baggio missed, wasn't it? You know, you just sort of like, oh, we're today. The battle of the mullets, the mullet versus the penalty. <laughs> yeah, don't let them take a penalty if they've had a mullet. <laughs> no, but I can understand why you put him at number one, and we're, we've all put him in the top three, so, mm. you know, speaks volumes, doesn't it? Deuxième premier, et c'est Seine qui dégage ce ballon. Dimeco dans le paquet, il n'est pas signalé en jeu face à Joël Matt et ça va être le but de Chris Wallet. But de Wallet 1-0 pour l'Olympique de Marseille après un temps d'arrêt de toute la défense parisienne. Matt se n'en revient pas. Tout le monde croit. I think that just leaves the, uh, the old fella. Herbert oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. Which one of you two is going to educate me on 1900 uh, football then? Um, I don't mind. I'll, I, I struggle to find too much detail on him, if I'm honest. But, um... <laughs> I've got a fair bit. I mean, I don't mind starting it and Dan can yeah, go, go on. off. And... I, I struggled. I'd, I'd searched extensively and I struggled to find much. Yeah. Bit, I mean, I'll, I'll say I've got a fair bit. I've go on. Probably, probably the most notes are written tonight. But that's not saying much. All right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> okay, so he was born in Nottingham in 1870. Um, he was the son of a butcher, and after leaving school, he worked as a lace warehouse assistant in the city. Uh, he was a keen footballer, and aged only 13, he'd taken part at the foundation of a small amateur club named after Italian hero Giuseppe Garibaldi, um, whose players wore red shirts. Uh, however, he then went on to play for Dan's favourite team, Notts Olympic. Oh, no, it's Blackburn Olympic, you like. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I yeah. apologise. Yeah, Notts Olympic. Um, and then for St Andrews, 
1881, Kilpin moved to Turin in Italy in order to work for Eduardo Bosio, an Italian Swiss textile merchant with links to a Nottingham lace manufacturer. In the same year, uh, Bosio founded Internazionale Torino, uh, believed to be the first Italian football club. Kilpin played for the team, becoming the first ever Englishman to play uh, football abroad. And during this time, he took part in the first two editions of the Italian Football Championship, losing both times in the final against uh, Genoa. After that, he moved to Milan. Um, and it was in this city where Kilpin played a role in establishing the landscape of European club football by founding a team known as the Milan Cricket and Football Club uh, on the 13th of December 1899. It was Kilpin who decided upon the red, the famous red and black colour scheme, which Milan wears to this day. And he spent nine seasons at the club, making a total of 23 appearances, uh, scoring seven goals, um, and he then went on to lead the uh, Rosanieri to two more titles in 1906 and 1907. Because obviously he went on to be their manager, I think, uh, player manager for a bit. Um, and yeah, I, like me and Dan just said, trying to find something on is quite hard because despite founding one of Europe's greatest ever football clubs and playing such a key role, um, no one knows anything about him. <laughs> That's pretty much all I have. I've, I've not got you've, you've you've got more notes than I had to be fair. Apart from I've got one anecdote where apparently he was um, his personality was is a little bit sort of um, uh, eccentric with attention to detail. I, there's probably there's probably other terms for that, but um, apparently on his wedding night in 1905, uh, Kilpin received an invitation by telegram to play a match against Genoa the following day. And promptly the next morning, he reminded his new wife that he'd only agreed to marry her on the understanding that she would not prevent him from playing football. <laughs> he went and played the match. Oh, brilliant. <laughs> wow. No, I, didn't, I didn't find that anywhere. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I mean, I, I think it's just incredible that uh, it's an Englishman that's gone abroad for work reasons and he's ended up founding AC Milan and then being player manager and playing in the team that's won, I think he won titles in 1901, 1906, 1907. So he's won three league titles with AC Man as well. them. So I just had to make it my number one. Yeah, it was kind of why I was considering making number one. But then I thought, well, he hasn't won a great deal. So I knocked him back a little bit. But founding one of the best teams in football, is, you know, it's hard to knock that. Yeah. No, that's great, that is. There's apparently where where we used to live in Nottingham. Um, there's like a mini museum, I think. I think it's a butcher's or something now, and it's got an AC Milan sticker in the window. Oh wow! Of like the, the old house he used to live in. I did read that his um, his gravestone was found in Milan, and it was in a Protestant graveyard. And once they'd found it, AC Milan paid to have it uh, restored, which was a, a nice gesture. And apparently, um, some fans will go and visit it and touch it. Uh, was a part of uh, AC Milan history, uh, feeling humbled by it. <laughs> no, fair enough. <laughs> wow. That's definitely a worthy number one, to be honest. I knew Dan would have it. <laughs> have we got any special mentions? 
Wow. Uh, I, I give a special mention to Jay Bothroyd, uh, okay. who um, after a pretty average career in England, he, he went to Japan to see out his final years, really. But he's been there six years now, and he's got 73 goals in 150 appearances. And um, he's still turning out every now and then for Sapporo, age 39. So I think he's, uh, he's made a good go of it in Japan. Definitely. Did you have any, uh, Ant? Uh, yeah, I had one. Um, I had Michael Bridges because he was a bit injury hit in England, but he, he went to Australia for the second time in Newcastle Jets, and he was uh, he was a little bit of a hit out there. And I think he I think he ended up being the manager for a little bit. Oh, uh, I think he, he scored he scored quite a few goals out there. Oh, which okay. This was like at the tail end of his career when everyone written him off because he was a crock. Yeah, and he's now apparently a well-known TV personality out there. Well, brilliant. Who knew? <laughs> the only one I had was Jimmy Greaves. 13 appearances for Milan, nine goals, one season. There and back. <laughs> got, I think he got a bit homesick and then went back to England. He didn't want to go, did he? No, he did. He was actually a bit forced to go. <laughs> yes, forced to go. He trying to buy himself out of the contract as well. <laughs> but it was a bit forced. Got a few um, socials as well, guys. So from the 80s and 90s football, they've given me a top five. So I run, run, run this through you. Okay. Who have you guys say? At number five, Paul Gascoigne. None of us mentioned him. Still yeah. loved by the fans when sensational when fit. If only it wasn't for injuries. Number four, David Beckham. Number three, Glenn Hoddle, Monaco, won French league and possibly played his best football in France, although not really seeing any TV coverage. David Platt, number two, did really well in Italy when it was the best league in the world. Very underrated player. And number one, Chris Waddle. He was one of our best players in Europe during his time there. Lost uh, in the final to Red Star for the European Cup but formed formidable trio up front with Papam, Mapide Pele, Le Magician, as he was known, still loved by fans today. Thank you very much for those. And um, Yeah, good shouts there. Got one from Alex at Stuart Now Pod. He said David Becker. Then uh, uh, Pete Spencer, or Irish Pete 67 his Twitter handle. He wanted to add Steve Hunt at New York Cosmos. Must be up there. No one knew, knew who he was before he moved there. Um, Dennis Turat, too. He played with Pele, Beckenbauer, and Chalaliga. And then he also said Kevin Keegan overcame team not accepting him to lead the title. Then said Owen Hargreaves, Chris Waddle. Um, then I had FTLOL podcast. He said, what a great topic to do. Thank you very much. Mm -hmm. Off the top of his head, he would say McManaman, Beckham and Laurie Cunningham at Madrid. Yeah, that was, sorry, that was another honourable mention for me. I just yeah. didn't talk about him because... Um, you already spoke bit. about him, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. A good shout, yep. Uh, Chris Kelly put uh, Kevin Keegan at Hamburg. Um, and then um, he actually put Jay Bothroyd as well. Did very well with Japanese football as well. So that's everything from our socials. Very good. 
there was one that surprised me. I don't think he was a success out there, but I didn't realise that Akin Fenwa started in Lithuania. Yes, he did. Yeah, <laughs> right. I know. I, I I just thought he was a homeboy that did you know played for every club under the sun in <laughs> England. Didn't realise he'd actually started abroad. Yeah, that was it. I think he had quite a good scoring record though as well. Not too. Yeah, bad. I think he, he. I think he suffered a bit of racism, unfortunately. Which yeah, is yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so that's the end of the top ten. Whose pick is it next time? Would it be Dan's? I think. So Dan, you can go get your head scratching for your top ten. If you've already got one, then you can tell us now. Oh, not no, not yet. No, that's fine. Not yet. Just let us know. Uh, yeah, any questions? Obviously, email us at uh, at the bar to 2020 at gmail.com or you can uh, tweet us at VAR at the bar or Facebook us at VAR at the bar. So you guys ready for a quiz then? Yeah, why not? Yeah, bring it on. 13 questions today, guys. So a bit shorter than normal. So okay. just ease ourselves in. <laughs> Question one. Which Bayern Munich player and French international had a minor heart operation last Kingsley week? Kingsley Coleman. That's quick. Yeah, well done. One now out. Which Premier League has spent the least during the summer? Burnley? Uh, no. Norwich? Uh, no. Brentford? No. One more guess each. Do you want a clue? They've sold a lot. <laughs> well, they've sold their best player. Southampton. Yeah, well done. <clears throat> okay. On the 22nd of August, a La League One match was abandoned due to home fans throwing missiles at Marseille players, mainly Dimitri Payet. Who was the home team? Was it Nice? Yeah, correct. They weren't being very Nice there, were they? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I was lucky. I was watching it when it happened. Yeah, but I couldn't believe it. <laughs> okay, so this is a uh, name the player. So I'll give you the clubs. So the first one is Zeleniga, Taplis, Wolfsburg, Man City, Roma, Inter. Um. Jekko. Yeah, well done. Three one. Okay. This is another one. Another name the player. Leeds. Swindon on loan. Newcastle. Villa. Milner. Yeah. Well done, Dan. Well done. Yeah. Good shout. Okay, so we've got a gamble question. So we're going all the way back to the FA Cup final. In 1995, between Man U and Everton. So it's a head-to-head. So I want you to name um, the starting lineup for Man United. So you've got got to pick the start one out of the eleven. So I'll go with Ant to start with the first player. Shamichael. Yeah, correct. Giggs. He's a sub, mate. Um, so it was Schmeichel, Gary Neville, Steve Bruce, 
Gary Pallister, Irwin, Keane, Ince, Foot, Sharp, McClare, and Mark Hughes. Lucky there, mate. Four two. <laughs> well, that was the shortest gamble we've ever had. It was, wasn't it? <laughs> it wasn't a gamble. Why do you call it that? <laughs> okay, next one is a gamble one. So we'll be looking at doing a Dan for his first um, gamble. So that's Jermaine Defoe played for seven teams. Who are they? So what number do you want to start us off with? Uh, four. Okay, going four. Um, Five. Ant's normally good at these. I'll have to go six. Are you going to go full house, Ant? I definitely know six, whether I know the last one. Uh, I'll give it a go. Full house. When you're ready, mate. Uh, Spurs. Yeah. West Ham. Yeah. Um, Sunderland. Yeah. Um, Rangers. Correct. Uh, Portsmouth. Yeah, you're on to five. I mean, is it seven? Seven, yeah. God. Um, uh, Bournemouth. Yeah, well done, mate. One more. Oh, God. Um, American team. Toronto. You said Toronto. Said American team. Oh, <laughs> Canadian <laughs> team. Give me, a, give me a Canadian team. Somewhere out there. <laughs> but yeah, you're right. Well done. Full oh, well done, Ant. Yeah, can't do much about that, I'm afraid, Dan. I couldn't remember if he went to LA Galaxy or not, but that was probably team, wasn't it? <laughs> no, well, I think he spent a season there, then came back to Rangers. Yeah, I might know my football teams. I don't know my geography. <laughs> okay, next question eight. Who became the Holland boss in August this year, replacing Frank de Boer? Oh, um... Is it Dick Advocar? Uh No. You're sort of close around that sort of sphere of manager. Danny Blind? He's managed in the Prem. Gus Hiddink? No. You're very close. Oh, it's on the tip of my tongue and I can't think Louis, of it. Louis Van Gaal. Yes, well done. Ah! <laughs> no, it's, 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 he's on his third stint as Oscar I couldn't manager. quite get it off my tongue. <laughs> right, so another head-to-head. So this is the first 11 for Real against Liverpool in the Champions League final. So this is the famous Carrius Bloomer one. This is a clue. So can you name me, Dan, to start off with the start, any of the players on the starting lineup for Real Madrid? I don't remember this one very well. I well, you remember the substitutes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. One especially, eh? Ramos. Sergio Ramos. Yeah, good start. Um, Courtois. No. Okay. That was Navas. Uh, so it was for, for, uh, So we had um, Ramos, Marciano, Varane. Cabajo, um, Modric, Kroos, 
Esco, Benzema, Ronaldo, and then there was a famous Gav Bale. Shortest gamble question we've ever had, Nat. Well, I don't sound like Jamie Redknapp. (laughs) (laughs) So that's 5-4. Dan's pulled that back. Gareth Bale didn't start, though, did he? No, 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 he didn't. Just just checking that. Bicycle kicked it in, didn't it? Yeah, I remember him coming on. Okay, so number 10. It's a gamble one. Andrew Johnson played for five teams. Who are they? Ants. First gamble. Andrew Johnson. Uh, three. Okay. You think four. you can do four? Yeah, go, go, yeah, go for it. I can't think of a fifth one. Okay. Um, Fulham? Uh, yeah, that's Crystal Palace? Yeah. Birmingham? Yeah. Oh, Birmingham. Everton? Yeah. Do you know the, the other one just for a clip? Full house? No. <laughs> I didn't know. QPR. Oh. oh. Yeah, I wouldn't have got that. Well done. I think that's when they came up, wasn't it? And spent all that money on a load of try. <laughs> A bit harsh on Andrew Johnson. No, on Andy Johnson, I mean on some of the other players. Ah, okay. Okay, another gamble question, but this is for managers. So, Paul Lambert has managed nine clubs. How many can you can you uh, gamble with, or how many do you know? Who are you going to first? Ah, uh, sorry, Ant. Oh, um, Lambert. I'll start with four. Go five. Okay. Six. Okay. Oh, you can name the rant. I'm struggling. Norwich. Yeah. Tolchester. Yeah. Um. Villa. Yeah. Oh, scared me then. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Ipswich. Yeah, that's his last one. How many will we get? Five or six? You're going to get six, mate. Two six. more. All right. All right. Uh, Stoke. Yeah. Last one. Uh, Wolves. Gone Wolves. Some other Midlands club. Yeah, you can't you can't beat him at these, can we? We can. Dan beat him in the last one. <laughs> <laughs> Only on starting lineups. You obviously no, don't he, I, I don't know me Andrew Johnson clubs, obviously. He didn't go for it though. So that's six five. Two more questions to go. Who took over as manager of Bournemouth this summer? Scott Parker. Yes. Beat me to it. Going to a final one. So I'm going to give you a clue. You've got to name the player. So the first clue. Which current Premier League striker has over 50 caps for his country, scoring 24 times? Give you both a couple of goes. Jordan, are you? No. (laughs) That's a a good shout, though. Very good shout, actually. 50 caps for his country. Um... Yeah. It's a good, good ratio, isn't it? Almost one every other game. I don't know. Bamiang. No. So the next one is, 
He's been playing in the Premier League for the past four seasons and has scored each season a minimum of 10 league goals. Give you guys another guess for a bit. The final question as well. Draw. We're going to have to wrestle up a tiebreaker quickly. Um, Chris Wood. And wins the game. Oh, well bloody done. hell. That's a great shout. <laughs> wow. And then the last one I had put is he's, he's been captain for his country. So. I don't think that would have helped me, to be honest. No. <laughs> no, I'd have probably then given another one when I quickly looked it up. But yeah, so Ant wins. So that's it from another action-packed episode. Um, like I said before, if you need want to email any of your lists, then please do to varthebar2020 at gmail.com. Uh, you can either tweet us at varthebar1 or Facebook us at varthebar. Got anything else to add there, lads? No, I don't think so. So we'll get something out very shortly with the the list for the next episode. Brilliant. That'd be great. We'll whack it onto Twitter and all the social media feeds. Yep. More people get involved. It'd be great. So that's me saying bye-bye then. Bye for me. See you later. is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Sports Social Podcast Network.